everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Babbles with Besties. I'm Maddie and in this podcast series, I chat to my friends about topics that matter to them and also celebrate all their wonderful achievements. Today, I'm chatting to the big sister I never had, Ash. Now, Ashley is the oldest sister of one of my best friends, Erin, who you may remember from the beginning of season one, where we spoke about sexism and gender inequality in sport. So go check that out. But not before you listen to this episode. Back to Ashley. Now, she hasn't necessarily lived the typical life of a person in their early 20s. At age 25, she's already lived away from home in a number of different countries across the world, and as a result, has had to grow up very quickly. In saying that, I know she is full of life lessons and experiences from living abroad that I can't wait to hear about. But before we do, welcome to the podcast, Ash. How are you doing and how are you coping in lockdown? Oh, coping is the word. I'm doing fine. Um, Definitely enjoying being mid-construction during lockdown. So we have not had a real kitchen. That's been a challenge. We've been glamping in our own house. But you know what? I reckon the glamping is going to be worth it because I've been eyeing that Mykonos-inspired cabana being built in your garden. I'm not a stalker, by the way, guys. Ash lives down the road from me. But let's just say I know exactly where I'll be going to take my Instagram pics for Mm. this coming hot girl summer. It's going to be so Instagrammable. Wow. Yes, that's where I'll be. Margarita in one hand, someone feeding me grapes in the other, just living out my Mykonos fantasy. Love that. Which is actually very fitting because today we are speaking about living abroad. So obviously none of us can really travel or pick up and relocate our lives right now, but it's definitely a dream of mine to live and work overseas one day. And I know so many of my friends have said the same thing. At the same time, though, I think I have to be a little bit more realistic with my expectations versus reality. And I know it's obviously not as easy as just like packing a suitcase and booking a flight. Like there's so much more to, I guess, integrating yourself into a whole other life away from the comforts and security of home, which is something we'll get into in a little bit. But first, maybe can you start by giving the listeners a rundown of like where you've lived, how long, maybe why you moved, just so we can get a full picture of your life so far. And also so we know that you're a reliable source for the rest of my questions. Right, of course. Um, But yes, I think everybody's dream is to live abroad, go expand your horizons and I was really blessed at the age of 17 to do that straight off the back of my gap year where I moved to Israel. So I stayed there for just under four years to finish an undergrad, uh, which was the reason why I moved. And then afterwards, I moved to New York for an internship at the United Nations. And I was there for about six months in the dead of winter. Uh, We will definitely need to chat about a story I have where I've jumped out of a moving vehicle. I've gotten caught in snowstorms. We'll get there. We'll We'll get get to that at some point. And then I actually came home for six months. It was the longest I'd been home since I was 17. And then went off to London to do a master's in counterterrorism at King's College, which was just on the Thames, really nearby to Big Ben. It was fantastic until COVID hit. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Oh, no, I'm so sorry your trip got cut short. Like, that kind of sucks. I mean, yeah, everyone's plans have been thrown awry. But it's quite funny, though, because I've been fortunate enough to actually go to all those same places that you have. But I imagine our experiences and the way that we resonate with each place is very different, considering I was there as a visitor and you were actually like 
living there? Oh, I would hope so. There's actually one story that I can think of which makes me feel that really big difference between being a tourist in Israel versus being a local. So it must have been my third year. So I had pretty well acclimatized to what is crazy Israeli culture. And I went to go pay a bill at the post office and I was standing in line and just gestured in Hebrew to the guy in front of me to go to the next cashier that was open. And the craziest thing happened, like this other kid was trying to get in front of him. So I was trying to be nice. And then he turned around to me and in Hebrew, just attacked me for being so impatient. You're what's wrong with the next generation. Can't you just wait in line? I had clearly gotten the brunt of his bad day. And I just thought I was being so clever. So I turned around to him and I was like, I'm sorry, I don't speak Hebrew. And so in perfect English. I kid you not. Perfect English. He turned around and repeated word for word. And by then I had been shouted at twice in two languages, I understand. And I burst into tears in the middle of the post office. And this guy seeing tears running down this young girl's face, he turned around and he was like, oh, so, so where are you from? And I was like, I'm from Australia. (laughs) And he was like, oh, I used to live in Sydney in Vaucluse. And I mean, like, so did we. So I was like, oh, me too. I think that story goes to show like Israeli culture and living there, they're the first to knock you down, but they're also the first to bring you up, even if they're the ones who knocked you down in the first place. So Isn't there that fruit? I forgot what it's called. It's like prickly on the outside and sweet on the inside. And it's used to describe like exactly that. Like Israeli locals are sort of tough on the outside, but like really sweet and caring on the inside. What's that called? Mm, in English, it's a prickly pear, oh. but I can't remember the name in Hebrew today. That's okay. That's actually exactly what I was thinking of. I'm glad you mentioned that story because one of the big challenges that people face when they move overseas, wherever they are in the world, although probably in some places more than others, is culture shock. So do you have any advice for adjusting to a new lifestyle? Because I know you had to do that a number of times. Uh, Yes. So I think the first thing, uh, a lesson I didn't learn was in Israel, I was really like a lobster brought to boil. So the first year was my gap year. The second year I I had a relationship, so I was really coddled by his family and his friends. And then my third year was when I was really thrown into living on my own. So by then I had quite well established myself, but I quickly learned the lesson that when you first move to a country, you have to pack three suitcases. So the first two are actually all of your stuff. Do not think for a second that you'll be able to move countries with just one. Like look at the charges see how much it costs and be prepared because you need to. There's your clothes and then there are all the things that keep you alive, your belongings. But that third suitcase is everything that makes you who you are. It's your interests. It's your hobbies. It's the things that you would chat to someone about if you're on a first date. And it's the things that help you make relationships and build relationships and friendships. And that suitcase can be as big as you like. It can be as small as you like, but you that's your one. And so when you first move abroad, I really do recommend everyone thinking, how are you going to also export your lifestyle and the things you love? Okay, that sounds expensive, but I love the premise, export your lifestyle. You also mentioned building friendships in that. That's one of the things that honestly does scare me. Like, even though I like to think of myself as an extroverted person and I love meeting new people, that honestly terrifies me. Like having to make a friendship group from the ground up when you literally 
have no connections. I actually have a really good friend of mine who moved to Australia from South Africa. She was on the pod in season one, shout out Sage. And she told me how difficult it was, like how much effort she had to make in the beginning when she was new to break into this community, especially the Jewish community where everyone has known each other forever and everyone has their set groups of friends that they're happy and comfortable with. So do you have any advice for an extroverted introvert like myself for making friends abroad? Because right now, all I'm picturing is first day of school vibes. Wow. Yes. Yeah. So I realized I went a bit high level there. Obviously, I'll give some practical advice soon. Yeah. Good, good mix. Good mix. In terms of friendships, the one thing that I noticed at the university I went to in Israel called the IDC, I'll definitely say that a few times, uh, was that there was a really big social divide between the Israelis that lived there, who were citizens, who had been in Israel, familiar with the country and the land and had friendships and family relations that were really strong. It was their hometown, home country, and the international students where we were unstable. We were disconnected from our hometowns, which were over oceans away. So the biggest thing there I noticed was the difference between a stable community and an unstable community. And so a stable community might be full of people like we see here in the eastern suburbs or the north where you've got, I'm going to take our Jewish community, for example, a lot of friendly people who aren't necessarily open to new friendships because all those critical relationships they have, they are being fulfilled. They do not need you. And it's not a personal attack on you. They're just satisfied. Whereas the people who are unstable, who've been disconnected to the things that really fulfill them on a day-to-day basis and the friendships and family, they need to rebuild that. And so the international students, we actually turned into one another's family members, extended family members. And so my suggestion, that took a while to get there, but my suggestion to anyone making friends is source those unstable communities in the first six months. And then once you're settled, then maybe try break into a stable community, but it takes so much effort Don't worry about it when you first get to a new country. Don't try because you'll fail or you'll put too much effort into it. (laughs) Okay, not to second guess that because I think that's really great advice. But if you're planning on living somewhere for the long term, the international students or the backpacker communities might not be like the right fit. So how do you go about finding people that you actually get along with and making those real solid friendships like the ones we have at home? That's an excellent question, Mads. Like, When it comes to long-term, it's all about unpacking that third suitcase. It's about unpacking your interests. So I really am into F1. So make an effort to go to the bar and go watch the F1 game and connect to people who also like that. I also played netball in Israel. So I spent two nights a week playing netball and met so many people that way. So once you start unpacking that suitcase, you'll also start to see people who have got similar things. And The last thing is just take initiative, but don't take initiative with people who have really quickly showed you that they're friendly, but not looking for friends. So I'm actually guilty of that. So my friend who I mentioned came from South Africa, who I adore. I don't think I made much of an effort with her when she first arrived and she was like putting herself out there. It took me a bit of time to realize like, oh, okay, like this new girl's staying like, and then even more time for me to realize oh yeah, like she's pretty cool. I would love to be friends with her, which I feel really bad about because even though it wasn't coming from like a bad place or anything like that, it was like genuinely me just being so consumed in my own life that I didn't even realize there was this new girl trying to make friends and like build her life here. You're not a bad person if 
you just are fulfilled and happy and don't need someone. But that does mean that if you are the person who does need more people, who is looking for something else, you have to take that responsibility and you can't blame the world. You have to join that bouldering gym and you have to go speak to <laughs> loving all these people who really, are like you. Like you these <laughs> really niche interests though, like bouldering gym, F1, like what? I feel so basic. Yeah, well, just this is my dating profile. So <laughs> if you guys are interested, then hit me up. I'm down. <laughs> Why don't I know you? I'm new. I just moved here from Africa. What? I used to be homeschooled. So you've actually never been to a real school before? Shut up. Shut up. I didn't say anything. Okay. Moving on from Israel, let's talk New York. It's no secret that New York is a very expensive city. I was only there for three weeks and let's just say I did some damage. I spent way too much money on Levain cookies and hot chocolates every morning, especially because I was there in winter. I just needed, <laughs> I needed to indulge. So I think what I wanted to ask you about this is advice for managing your finances when you're living away from home, especially in an expensive city like New York. Right. I got absolutely bitch slapped by New York. <laughs> Talk about a reality check. I was really lucky that my parents were super keen on going to New York. So the first two weeks I was able to land and stay with them. But holy shit, I was not prepared and my internship was not paid for. So I was going off savings. I don't think I've ever been able to make so much food last so long. This one girl invited me out for Halloween and I was like, yeah, cool, great, let's go to the club. And then a couple of days later, she was like, by the way, it was a hundred US dollars. So can you pay me back? And oh my I, God. I couldn't, I genuinely couldn't. I had to ask my parents to help me and they actually said no because I had to manage my own money. And so I could only at that time scrummage 50 US dollars together to give her. And I felt ridiculous. And my parents were like down to watch me struggle because <laughs> I think they knew I'd be fine, but I needed to learn some serious lessons. Like there were days that I had like no money in my account. And so I quickly learned because I was living at one point in the financial district. And I was thinking, how are all these people walking around me making money from their own money and I can't even afford my Starbucks grande <laughs> grande gotta have the mint grande. chocolate mocha. <laughs> yeah might be all those extras potentially yes maybe <laughs> but it was the rent killed me actually but the thing that I started to realize was how important investing my savings was and how living off my savings was actually ruining that precious little pot of money I could have used to, I don't know, set myself up in any way in the future. And that's when I kind of discovered Barefoot Investor, She's on the Money and the Facebook group that went with it. Like so many things that are out there for us. Just going back to that whole situation at the club with your friend, like I think even if you're not living overseas, I think money and friendships and things like that is, it, ma it makes things a little bit awkward. And I think it is something that a lot of people can relate to. I know even when I was traveling, not necessarily living in a country, but when I was traveling, it's hard because different people have different priorities and interests and things that they want to spend their money on. But then at the same time, we have that classic feeling of FOMO where sometimes you may not want to spend your precious money on 
that activity. You may not want to go to the bar and watch F1. You may not want to spend money on bouldering, just going back to your niche interests, but everyone else is doing it. And if you don't do it, you're left out. You're going to miss out on these shared experiences. So is that something you've ever experienced, like that awkward tension with like money and friendships and things like that? Yeah. So that's actually what ended up happening to me in New York. I wasn't able to build a lot of friendships because I didn't have the expenses to go out and do all these things. I had to do a lot of free stuff, which everyone's keen on doing, but it's really hard when you're always the one making the effort and then everyone else is inviting you to these, wow, amazing clubs. It's so exciting. And Brooklyn, just full stop. It gets to a point where you just have to be very open and communicate your boundaries. And it's so uncomfortable chatting about money and asking people for money back. But I do think one of the most important things that I've got in a lot of my friendships is we chat about a base limit. What is $10 between friends? Like some of my friends, it's I've got your coffee this time. You've got it next time. Other friends, it's $30. I'll buy them a gift. I know they'll buy me one. And it really depends on how close you are to them. So I would recommend with any friendship, I'm sure you have this, Mads, where you just chat to them about money in advance. Mm, In advance, for sure. There's nothing worse than being in a situation where a quick decision needs to be made. You're, You're at the gate, you're at the door to the club and you literally can't say no. So that's really good advice. I want to backtrack a little because you mentioned at the beginning of the episode, you had a story about jumping out of a moving vehicle in New York. Please explain. So this is just another iconic Manhattan bitch slapped me moment where I was in the Uber and it wasn't my Uber and I was going I was feeling really sick like it was after having a crazy prees night with my cousin in upper Manhattan and then we had to make our way down to the lower east side for a party but I was in bad areas it was gonna happen I asked them to pull over I made quite a scene and they just weren't and then I looked out the window and I was like hey this is the street that I live on Like it was 11th street. I was like, right, I'm going to jump out. So the car was going slow enough that I could actually open the door. And I launched myself out of this car and I landed on my two feet in the highest heels I owned. But like, I didn't even land in the road. There was an island perfectly placed. And I just, I just hopped out and I heard the car screeching to a stop. And my cousin scream out like, what the fuck, Ashley? Like deepest American accent. And I was like, so relieved I was out of this car and he had to take me like we had to just walk a couple blocks back to mine but I was done for that night oh my god first of all very impressive that you didn't roll an ankle Dr. Lentz would be shook also I totally thought you were gonna say that you got out on what you thought was your block and then you realized you were on the wrong end because the streets or the avenues rather can be so long in New York and like you ended up having to walk so far to get home because I've definitely made that mistake before Well, I think that story is really a metaphor for moving abroad. It's really just about jumping and going and hoping that you land on your feet. And a lot of the time you'll actually be all right. I'm not emphasizing anyone to jump out of moving vehicles, but (laughs) moving abroad is a lot like that feeling. What I will say is that you'll surprise yourself. You're a lot more capable than you realize. I'd say you're not a real New Yorker until you've stolen a cab from someone who needs it more than you do. No, you're not a real New Yorker until you've cried on the subway and not given a damn what anyone thinks. No, you're not a real New Yorker until you've killed a cockroach with your bare hands. Those rules are all stupid, okay? I've never done any of those things. By the end of this day, Robin would have done all of those things. All right, let's take a flight. We've touched down in London. Hello, Big Ben. And 
we're getting on the dating mm, scene. Mm, mm. Actually, I have a funny story I think you'll appreciate. A little while ago, I was on Hinge and there wasn't really anyone catching my eye. And I thought, hmm, what if I change my location to somewhere else in the world? Like, who will I find? Oh my God. So I moved myself to London <laughs> and I'm not planning on moving there anytime soon, but I was like, let's let's just suss out who's there. Like, what are we working with? And I was shocked. The boys in London are so hot. I found this guy whose profile picture, he was on a red carpet for a movie premiere. And I'm like, oh my God, is this Raya? Like, oh, wow. Yes, and then I started thinking, hmm, maybe I should move to London for the dating scene. So considering you've been there yourself, tell us about it. What are we missing out on? So many boys. <laughs> I wish I could see all the people that were on your hinge because no doubt in my mind, I either know them or have dated them. Stop. Is the community small there? No, it's actually really big. It's oh, okay. really, really big. It's nice. But like, I, I really want to emphasize the point. They're just Jewish boys with British accents. I know, but it makes it so much better. <laughs> you know what? There is someone who I know who's British who would be great for you, Mads. Remind me to give Stop. you Send them the details. Episode. No, I'm kidding. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. He would listen. He would. Okay. But back on track. Yeah. So what's the dating scene like in London? Right. So J-Swipe is like not weird in London. So I went on that and also Hinge. And I really recommend both of them. A lot of people will be on both as well. So if you miss them on one app, you can always grab them on the other. Let's be honest. That's what people do these days. So I really loved um, J-Swipe in London. But the one thing I will say is it's really hard to date people if you don't know what you want and if you may be leaving soon and you can't offer stability so whilst it's so exciting, dating a Jewish boy with a British accent, at the end of the day, a lot of these people are in their stable community, in their hometown, and they're looking for someone who is going to be stable with them. But what I'd always recommend is make your own life. Make sure you unpack that third suitcase, because if that relationship falls apart, you need to have your own shit. Like, it's dating 101. It's relationships 101. Yeah, I think either way, just being independent and having your own shit going on is so important because it's very easy to get completely consumed by a relationship, especially in the honeymoon stages. I mean, we all have those friends who fall off the face of the earth when they get into a relationship. And I think it's even more risky if you're living away from home and all of your new friends are just your partner's friends. Like, what if it doesn't work out? What if you break up? So yeah, got to have your own life and your own people and just like not completely rely on this person who you've met from that country to coddle you through it. I think it's really hard as well, because that will be the dynamic with a lot of friends that you make there, especially if they're locals. Because they'll have the car and they'll have the parents nearby. And so splitting the bill sometimes feels weird because you're like, I'm paying my own rent and you're on a free pass. Why do we have to split the bill when you order the more expensive meal? Like these are things that you will feel and like someone will give you a lift and it's weird. Like, do you then pay for all of the Ubers? What's the vibe? But these are some things that you will experience. You? And, and you? <laughs> Yes, but you cannot tell anyone. No one knows. How? When? It happened in London. In London? <laughs> okay, we've taken our little trip around the world in this episode. You're back in Australia now. Unfortunately, your time in London got cut short due to COVID. So 
coming back home was a bit unexpected and not really part of your plan. What was it like adjusting to being back home for the first time in a long time and also reconnecting with old friends? Oh, that's a really good question. It was it was really hard and I wasn't expecting it because I was great. I managed to keep in contact with all the people who I was really close friends with. We had a WhatsApp group where I'd send video updates and people would just keep in contact with me and I was making sure I was chatting to everyone almost once a month at least. So when I came back after about five years abroad, I expected that I could really rely on these people like close friends, but I didn't realize that the relationship had evolved and I was essentially their pen pal and they were in their stable communities. And I had, I had essentially come back expecting like a really strong, close friendship, but I had only chatted to these people once a month or they got an update from me every so often and they were satisfied. So I had to invest in a lot of friendships and essentially rebuild some from the ground up. And I didn't have like all those high school friendships. They were like people from my past, old school. So it was really hard to rekindle some of those. And I've become really good friends now with people who are just down the road for me, baristas, people I've met, bouldering, people I've met by playing netball and just being really open uh, rather than the people that I guess a lot of others are really close with here in Sydney. Mm, That sounds really tough. Like it's hard because friendships can change pretty quickly, especially if you're not around and suddenly you're on the periphery. And considering you were away for five years, it's like, it's hard to maintain. It's hard to go back to how things are, especially when the last time you may have seen these friends was in high school at such a different stage in your life. Yeah. And I mean, so glad that you brought that up because it's also, I feel like they don't know me really anymore. And I've come back and people have to get to know me again. And I can see that certain people in my life really look at me with the same glasses they would someone three years ago or three years younger or even as young as high school. And it's really hard because I'm not that person. I am still like that girl, but I'm so much more as well. And sometimes I can actually tangibly feel that someone is missing out on seeing all those aspects of me or they just give me lip service, but they don't actually treat me any differently. And that's been hard but I do the same back to them. I only know them from that long ago. So it's quid pro quo. Mm. Well, let's lift the mood a little. You mentioned to me a couple of weeks ago that you would kill to have a gap year in Australia. Now, obviously this was before Sydney went into lockdown, but what did you mean by that? Like, are we talking an Outback tour? Deck out a Hyundai van. and That was a terrible Australian accent. That was not, I wasn't even trying. (laughs) Oh, Oh God. Okay. Well, no, I don't have an Aussie accent. You can probably hear I'm utterly confused. Um, What I meant by that was there are a lot of kids right now who are going to be worried about going abroad and doing their gap year. And there are some fantastic alternatives here in Australia. There are so many unbelievable things to do. There's snow, there is deserts, there's Kakadu National Park, which I am dying to go to and you can do this all in a car you can get a motorbike or you can bike across incredible stretches of land I'm not gonna lie you sound like you're sponsored by Tourism Australia (laughs) yes see you in the NT (laughs) but 
I mean, we have so much here that's possible. And the other thing is, let's say you had a plan to move to London or to move to New York and then COVID hit. I do think there is a way forward in Australia to recreate that experience. Okay. What does that look like? Because right now I'm not really seeing the vision. Like, what are you doing, I guess, to get that same experience of joy and passion that you would have had living and studying in London? Oh, I'm so not practicing what I preach. Like if my chapter, <laughs> if a chapter of my life right now was anything, it would be called um, emotional nesting. <laughs> what do you mean? It would be called emotional nesting because I'm sitting down and doing a lot of self-love, self-work, and I'm essentially baselining. I've never had a life with this little excitement ever. So it's getting comfortable with that. But the one thing I have done is I've actually started focusing on volunteering and trying to add some more things into that third suitcase of mine. What are the things I do abroad that I can do here? So I I started volunteering for Lifeline as a crisis support worker, and that's been really rewarding. I don't know how much you can share on that, but what have been the biggest learnings from that experience volunteering for Lifeline? I mean, I think you can hear I love to talk and I can chat anyone's ear off. Like you just need to give me a wall and I'm good. I'll give you a microphone. Exactly. Oh, I love this. I'm not going to give it back <laughs> to you after this, but it would definitely be the act of listening and what it means to actually make someone feel heard. It's not just sitting there listening that you could repeat back, but saying the right thing so that that other person who's speaking actually in the moment is feeling understood. And there are specific techniques that you can do to make them feel heard and connected that I never knew before. Okay, I know we've gone a little bit off topic now, but can you give us some examples of what you mean by that? Because that seems like a pretty important skill that a lot of us could use. Sure. A really beautiful one that I'd recommend everyone try to adopt is reflecting meaning. So instead of giving your friend advice, if they say, I'm really struggling, I'm really feeling alone in this lockdown and there's so many things I wanted to do, what you have to do is isolate the meaning in that. You can hear that your friend really values excitement and adventure and they're not getting that. So you would reflect back saying, I can hear that you really enjoy having excitement in your life. And I promise you when that person hears that, they're going to go, yeah, of course. I just, and then vent and you help them release that emotional energy. So what's great about Lifeline is you hold people emotionally and they release those emotions so that they can then go and solve their own problems practically. Because mm, people don't want to be told what to do. Like no one wants to be fed an answer. I think people do like to come to conclusions or realizations on their own. But if you can help facilitate that, that's always a wonderful thing. Yeah. And big sister knowledge here. I'm preparing you. As we grow up, we actually grow out of giving our friends opinions. So it becomes something that you actually stop doing. And you'll notice as you grow older, when you give a friend an opinion, you'll actually end up breaking a bit of that trust because you're not listening to them. They're an individual human and they know the best way to go about their own lives. They do not need your advice. I love the irony that it's like, okay, stop giving your friends advice. And this is a life advice episode. <laughs> I love that though. The irony is oh, great. Yes. <laughs> it's fantastic. But I will say 
the one thing is I have a friendship where we preempt it. We say, do you want advice today or do you want me to listen? Or if I'm going to give an opinion, I say, are you in the mood for an opinion? And I ask in advance. And I really hope that you've invited me here for my advice and opinion. Otherwise, I've totally misread the brief. (laughs) I'm like, I just wanted to vent. I did not want any of your life advice. You're in the wrong building. (laughs) No, actually, though, I've loved having you on the show today. And thank you so much for your very much solicited advice. I think there's a lot the listeners can really take away from this episode, whether or not they're planning on moving abroad in the future. So thank you so much. Oh, thanks for having me, Mads. And thank you for what you're doing. I'm loving listening to these podcasts on my walk. Thanks so much for listening to Babbles with Besties. If you haven't subscribed, what are you doing? I drop new episodes every Monday that you will not want to miss. You can find me on Instagram at Babbles with Besties or check out my website, babbleswithbesties.com. That's all from me. I'll be babbling your ears off with another bestie next week. Bye.